What's up, guys? How are y'all doing? Doing good? I'm doing great. So just a couple more things about myself before we get started. Um, like Eric said, I came here and I went through their school discipleship, or at the time it was called the internship. It was a really critical time in my life where I had just left a whole bunch of things in the past, a whole lot of sin. Um, I moved here because my parents were here. I was in between jobs, and I just didn't know what God had for my life. And my dad kind of pushed me, and he's like, hey, have you, have you thought about coming to our church and checking out this internship? And so um, I fill out an application, and the rest is history. Many of the pastors spent hours teaching me the word of God, encouraging me um, to be a, a godly man, and just many other things. And so I'm extremely thankful. And, and over the years, the last two or three years, I've gotten a chance to meet many of you guys. And so tonight... Um, as, I'm, as I'm preaching, as I'm sharing from the word of God, um, I'm, I'm talking to you guys as you're my family. I really, I really appreciate everything that Rocky Mountain Calvary is and what we're about and what we do. I also met my wife here. Her name's Jenna, and she works in the children's ministry, and, um, and we're pregnant. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, so in case people want to know, that's where we're at right there. So I'm truly thankful to Rocky Mountain Calvary. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. So. God, just thank you for um, tonight. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this church. Goodness, Lord, we get the chance um, to really reflect who you are to our community, Colorado Springs. Um, and just be with us tonight, Lord, as we go through your word. Um, God, where you would have encouragement, would you bring encouragement? Where you would have rebuke, would you bring rebuke? God, where you would have us to have a better understanding of the gospel, would you bring that about tonight? And so, God, it's all these things that I pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Why do you guys come to church? Okay. Why do you come to church? Especially on a Wednesday. Most of you guys probably had work. Um, it probably took a little while to get your kids out of the house and, and to come here. And so um, why do you come? Um, the other question I would have for you right now is why during the week, if you read your Bible, as you should, why do you read your Bible? Or why do you pray? How about this one? We do prayer and fasting week once a year here. Why do you fast? All right? If you've led a Bible study or you currently lead one, why? Why do, why do we do these things? The other two questions I have for us right now is if you haven't read your Bible as much as you think is necessary, if you haven't prayed as much as God's convicted you to do, maybe if you haven't been to church in a while, do you feel like you're not as close to God? Do you feel like God loves you less? Do you feel like you are a less good Christian? Okay, the reason why I ask all of these questions is this. Tonight we're going to be talking about two doctrines, okay? One doctrine is this, one of justification. This has to deal with salvation. And the other doctrine has to do with sanctification. This is the process of obedience where the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring about the fruit of the Spirit and righteousness, Okay, and the reason I ask those questions is I think we flip-flop it a lot of times. We place our obedience, we place our good works in the place where salvation and justification is supposed to lie. Just a quick example. If I was sitting in your seat right now about eight months ago, I would be like, well, Josh, that's great. Like, I, I see what you're saying. We're, we're not to trust in our own works. We're to trust in the works of Christ. Um, but what happened is leading the young adults... Um, I get the awesome opportunity to teach anywhere from, gosh, 40 to 50, um, 20-somethings every week. It's awesome. We get to talk about the scriptures. We get to talk about the gospel. We get to talk about Christian living. It's amazing. But one night, I think only like 10 or 15 people showed up. 
Um, you guys ever had that experience if you're, you're throwing a party and you invite like a whole bunch of people and only like a third of them show up? You kind of start asking the questions like, man, do they, do they not think I'm cool? Do they, you know, do, do they think I'm lame? And so um, what was going on on this particular Thursday night was I was asking myself if, if I was successfully um, doing the work of the ministry that God had called me to. To make matters worse, there were a couple young men at the time that I was discipling, and I was pleading with them to come out of some sin. I was pleading with them um, to be involved in community, to be held accountable to the word of God, and they weren't really hearing it. And so they were, they were walking away. And so I kind of viewed this as them walking away from me. And to make matters worse, on this particular Thursday night, I was not prepared to teach. So I got up in front of everybody, and it just fell flat. I looked foolish, I didn't clearly communicate the word of God, and so um, that night was pretty terrible. I went home, (laughs) and I went for a walk, and I I started crying. I had an emotional breakdown, right? Like, I feel like I'm a big, tough guy, Um, and then there's some points in my life where I have an emotional breakdown. Like, where did that come from? You see, church, what happened that night and what subconsciously happened in my mind is I began to place my emphasis in my walk with Christ on the things that I was doing for him, okay? I was placing my identity in how successful I was at teaching and how successful I was at discipling and encouraging young men and how many people showed up to hear me speak. It was really pathetic and really ridiculous, And so when I ask us these questions tonight, like why do we come to church, why do we pray, why do we read the scripture, like it's my best intention that we be searching our hearts to ask if we're doing those from a sense of of obedience in Christ, that we have freedom from the gospel, or are we doing those to in any way um, earn righteousness or favor or love from God? Because here's the truth, church. In Christ, we are, can get no closer to God than we are now. We can enter into the Holy of Holies. We don't need to act well. We don't need to, to come to church to get closer to God. We don't need to do all those things. Now, don't hear me wrong. All of these things are good, but we need to get these doctrines straight. And so bear with me tonight as, as we talk about some of these things. Um, the scariest thing um, in my mind... Um, for church is this, that that we get so caught up in doing things for God um, that we forget that God was the one that saved us. Remember in Matthew 7 where where there's going to be people that that give an account to Christ and Christ says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're like, "But, but, but look at this, look at all these things I did for you. Look at how much I served in your church, Jesus. Look at how many sermons I gave. Look at how many people I prayed for. And the sad truth is this, if, if we mistake our identity um, in what we do with what Christ has done, um, I think we're in real danger of walking into that. We're talking about what, it, what the gospel is as the young adults right now. I believe that the gospel um, in, in major ways has lost its meaning in our culture. Um, and I think tonight that that's what we're going to be dwelling on. So I need us to understand, once again, coming back to those two doctrines I talked about. All right, there's, there's salvation, there's what God has done, right? Jesus came, lived a perfect life of righteousness that we have no ability to live, right? He went to the cross and died and atoned for, received all of the wrath from God for the sins that we, uh, or the wrath that we deserved, right? And so not only that, but he didn't stay in the grave, he was, he was risen and he ascended into heaven, all right? So all of those things in salvation in Jesus Christ get applied to us. We cannot work for anything. We cannot boast in anything, 
right? So there's that. And then there's walking in obedience, being empowered by the Spirit. And so church, what I'm asking us to consider tonight is can we be passive aggressive towards these things? Can we be passive in receiving the gospel and then aggressive in carrying out the obedience that Christ has for us? Um, I just have one, one example. If you guys could turn to 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 really quick. Um, this, is, this is my example. I think we can be well-intentioned when we study Scripture and we have a genuine desire to be obedient to the things that Christ commands. I just want to make it really clear um, what gets talked about first. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. This is a very famous passage. It says this. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so what are we reading here, church? We're reading that the scripture is practical. It's pragmatic. It can be applied in our lives. For what? So that we can do good works. There's nothing wrong with good works. There's nothing wrong with using scripture practically. But if you want to rewind about four verses, look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Look what Paul talks about first. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, check this out, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Church, I hope when we come to hear a sermon, I hope when we come to read scripture, I hope that when we pray, we are first focused on the salvation that Christ has worked for us. And let that be the source, the motivation. Let the Holy Spirit work through us as we then begin to flesh out and to walk out what we believe. And I think it's very important that we come back to these important doctrines of everything that God has done for us. I love how it says in that passage um, to make you wise for salvation. In talking about wisdom, that's what we're going to be transitioning in tonight. So, so with the gospel, we first must understand our state. We are man. We need to see what the gospel says about man. Then we need to see what the gospel says about God. And then we need to understand what is our proper response to the gospel. How does God work? So if you guys could turn to Ephesians 2. This is where we're going to be spending the rest of the evening tonight. Ephesians 2. The one thing that I really wanted to clearly communicate in this introduction is this. The Christianity should be passive-aggressive in regards to those two doctrines we talked about. We must passively, through faith, accept the work of Christ. This changes our hearts, all right, and so to speak, we become aggressive towards the obedience of the things that Christ has for us, all right? That's the perspective that, that I want you guys to take away from tonight. First point, guys, why, why must we be passive? Why must we rely upon the works of God and not ourselves? Because we are dead. Look at verse 1 in Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Guys, what does dead mean? <laughs> does dead mean that there's a pulse? Does dead mean that there's, there's any breath at all? Or does it, it's, just, it's just dead, right? You guys have seen the crime scene shows where they go to the morgue and they pull the body out and it's just it's pale. It's just dead. It's just laying there. 
Church, the first thing that we need to understand about the gospel and what scripture has to say about the human condition is this. We are spiritually dead. And if you go back and look in Genesis, the result of being spiritually dead is physical death. All man before Christ is spiritually dead and the physical is soon to follow. Verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so check this out. More than just being spiritually dead, before Christ, you're, you're actually playing on, on Satan's ball team. You're playing for, for Satan's team. Um, just as um, God is the Lord of hosts and he has his own army, Satan also has his. And it calls him the prince of the power of the air. Guys, we need to understand that that any authority that Satan has has been given by God, but for this time, he has been given authority over the earth. He is the prince of the earth. We need to understand that in Christ, he has no authority over us, but we also need to know that without Christ, you can't just be on a neutral team. You you have to be on one side or the other. And so before Christ, all of us were, were fighting for Satan's ball team. So we're dead in trespasses and sins, and, and before, before we came to Christ, we, we were fighting for Satan. Verse number three. This is important. Even for all of us who are in Christ tonight, even for all of us who are Christians, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Okay, Paul's making a distinction right here between the Ephesian church and the non-believers, but he's bringing to remembrance that everybody in Christ used to be like that. We were spiritually bankrupt. We had nothing to offer. We could not possibly do any works to merit any righteousness, any love, any favor from God. We were completely buried. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others Guys, our nature, we have inherited from Adam, okay? Fair or unfair, Adam's sin has now led to a sin nature in in every human, okay? And so I just want to ask you, have you not also confirmed your sin nature with your own personal sin? And I think we would all say yes. We, We have all confirmed our sin nature by actively and purposely partaking in disobeying God. And so not only by nature, are we, are we dead to rights? But we're also dead to rights by our own actions. Guys, the gospel and the scripture is not very kind on the human condition. That's where we need to start. We need to understand this. Um, Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6, I'm going to read this. I feel like this highlights um, what we're to understand from the first three verses of Ephesians. Um, God's talking to the Israelites And he's telling them the reason why he's letting them go into the promised land. He's telling them the reason why he's giving them victory over the peoples of that land. In Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6, you guys don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. And although this is talking to the people of Israel, I think we can apply this today. The Lord your God, church, is not giving me, is not giving you any spiritual blessing because we deserve it, because we're righteous, because we're upright, because we're not. We're stiff-necked people, continually wandering off the cliff into disobedience and prone to wander from the grace of God. What's cool here is this. Our actions don't determine the way that God acts. It says that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers. God operates based on his promises, his word. Amen. Not our actions. This is solid ground, church. If God operates on our actions, we are in a troubled place. But he operates off of his promises. This is amazing. Back in Ephesians. So that's the bad news. So we'll get that out of the way. <laughs> Verse 4 in Ephesians 2. But God... This is very emphatic, all right? We just talked about the depravity of man. We just talked about how we can't possibly earn salvation. We can't possibly earn eternal life. We can do nothing of merit and nothing good. But God, he comes into the scene. Check this out. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Notice the emphasis here. Who is rich in mercy? God. Who is great love? God. Who loves us? God. These are all actions by God. When did he love us? Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. And more than that, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I think we need to understand that, that even in our trespasses, even in our spiritual death, even in our depravity and our distance from God, he loved us. He shows his grace. He shows his mercy. This is incredible. But God. Verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Once again, notice the emphasis. It's his grace. It's his kindness. Why? Because of Christ Jesus. The one thing I, need, I think we need to understand as well is that not being in Christ, there is no kindness shown to those who are not in Christ. Okay? And so, so when we accept Christ, God is no longer looking at our works. He's no longer looking at what we've done. He's no longer looking at our past. He's looking at Jesus Christ and the righteousness, the holiness, the obedience, and the submission that he showed while he was on earth. Right? He's looking at the perfect lamb, the sacrifice that will take away the sin of the world. He's no longer looking at you. This is good news. This is, this is very good news. Verse 8, this is one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture, as it should be. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. First questions I asked, um, and maybe there's more that you could personally ask and meditate upon. Um, is there anything that you're putting into the gospel that you can boast in? 
Is there any way that you're being aggressive towards earning salvation, towards earning God's love, towards earning God's grace? There's nothing that we can boast in in the gospel. Sometimes it's, you know how it says, like, it's more blessed to give than to receive? Well, (laughs) I think sometimes it's a lot harder for us to receive something, especially something we have given nothing for. It stings your pride, doesn't it? It makes, you, it makes you become humble. It's not something that you can give anything back for. It's a gift. Guys, this, um, this grace is a gift. And, and the question that I have going along this is, what is faith? I'm a big words guy because I feel like they get butchered when we get outside these walls and when we get away from our Bibles. Um, I grew up in cowboy country in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, Dallas Cowboys. So um, inevitably, when they were behind by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, um, we would begin to use faith like, man, did you just have faith that they're going to overcome the situation? It, we used it like an unrealistic belief in something that's not going to happen. All right? And so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm afraid that what we do is we take our understanding in that definition, or at least I have, and, and I apply it to this passage. Right? This is the belief in God is not something that's not going to happen. Right? The, the faith in God is not something based on, on an invisible cliff that we just step out and hope that it holds us up. Like Jesus actually lived. He actually died. He actually rose from the death. The Bible is actually in your hands today. This stuff is real. Amen. And so when we're talking about faith, what is it? I believe as you read scripture, it's coming to the cross with nothing. With nothing. In the hope that God can provide everything. All right, this is not irrational. (laughs) This is actually very necessary um, for our eternal security. Listen to John um, 5.25 and what Jesus has to say. This is cool. Remember how we're dead. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Right? Isn't that cool? Like, like all these truths about the gospel, even though we're dead, when the word of God is proclaimed, when Jesus comes on the scene to preach grace and salvation through him alone, that some are going to hear that and be raised from the dead? Like, I know we're going through Acts on, on Wednesday nights. Like, like, what's the cool thing from Acts chapter 2 and the sermon that Peter preached? They were cut to the heart, Right? There's something that happens when we hear of our state as mankind, that we're bankrupt before God. There's something that happens when we see this beautiful gift. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully our hearts are pierced. And we realize, yes, that's true. What must we do? Those who hear will live. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. I was thinking about maybe like a fine piece of furniture that was getting crafted um, by a furniture maker. <laughs> like, let's say it's a rocking chair. You know, does, does the rocking chair get done and be like, look at himself in the mirror and like, yes, I made myself? No, that's ridiculous. Like, like, we are God's workmanship. God is crafting us, not us. 
We have no part in that. God is perfecting us. God has given us the Holy Spirit to see the things that we need to repent of and to be obedient to. We are his workmanship. And we were created in who? Christ Jesus. And this is where I think the rubber meets the road um, for our action as Christians. Everything that I've talked about should be a passive reaction where we should respond in faith, right? Everything we've talked about is only from God, can only come from God, and cannot possibly come from you or me. So this is where the rubber meets the road. You're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember the two doctrines? We have, we have salvation, we have justification, we have everything that God has done. We have no part in this. And if we are to interject, that's no longer the gospel. But the accurate reception of this through faith will lead to a life of action, will lead to a life of obedience, will lead to a life of fulfilling the great commission, of making disciples, of becoming holy. Like, this is amazing. And this is, this is all given to us by God, that we should walk in them. But we should never twist those two, right? It's not dependent upon us to be completely obedient for God's favor to be shown to us through Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul says this, and Paul's great. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This passage gets butchered, but what's going on here is what we just talked about. God's done everything, and now in response to that, we are to walk in the power of the Spirit and to obey all of the commands of Jesus. But how? Why? Because it is God who works in you. It was never you working in you to accomplish those good things. This is all brought about by God. I also like how Paul puts it in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. You guys catch that? Like, like these are action words. These are strong, personal, like do this. Like Paul says, press on. I press on. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm going into all of the things that Christ has already achieved for me. Christ already achieved righteousness. He already achieved eternal life. That's that 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 passage where it talks about scripture being good for doctrine, reproof, and correction. Like, like an understanding of the gospel will lead to a working out of all of the imperfections in your life. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we look forward to the hope that one day we stand before God completely perfected. I know I'm talking fast. I'm from Texas. I apologize. <laughs> Amen. I like that. So I guess church, like, what can happen is when we come in here and um, we hear a passage of scripture that says, do this, do that, um, we walk out these doors and we really try and implement it and we fail, um, I think we gotta come back to the gospel. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, guys, I think when, um, when we crash and burn in life and, and there's nothing that, that seems like it's going right and, and we become shaken in our faith, um, we don't know if it's all real, we think maybe we've gone too far, I think we need to come back to the gospel. Um, the cool thing about Ephesians is um, the first three chapters, if you read them carefully, it's, it's just the gospel. It's just everything that God's done for us, which, which is everything. And then you get to chapters four, five, and six, where Paul begins to talk about the purpose of the church. Like, what should we do as a corporate body? He begins to talk about how marriages should look like, how wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives and children and all of those things. You have the practical living that Paul preaches, but it's only talked about after the gospel. If it's not sourced in the gospel, we're, we're self-righteous doing works and we're going to crumble. I love this passage in Matthew 11. Um, this is Jesus again, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Um, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't saying for you to come to him so that he can just give you good advice on how to get out of the whirlwind of your life. Like, like I'll be honest, like living in this world, there's gonna be a lot of things that come at you. Life's gonna be hectic. Um, people are gonna sin against you. You're gonna be hurt. Um, Jesus isn't saying, come to me so that I can be your great problem solver and give you happiness so you can just walk in your life comfortable. That's not what's going on here. <laughs> Jesus is saying, quit carrying your sin. Quit carrying it. Quit trying to, to carry that burden. And I know Eric uses it a lot, but the Pilgrim's Progress thing, like, like quit carrying your, your burdens, guys. Come to Christ and give those to him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Like, like to me, that's, that's the most beautiful thing that we could... Um, we could ever have in a savior so so to recap guys um like like why do we do what we do especially religious activities um and i think the answer has to be um because christ did all of this because christ lived the righteous life because christ died on the cross because of all of those things so um really all I got. I went way faster than I anticipated in my practice round. But hey, you know what? This is my first time. But <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't looking for that. But um, the last thing I want to say is tonight, when every Wednesday night we have communion. Um, I think it's really fitting um, to talk about this for a second. Like, like what happens when we take um, of the bread and of the cup? Um, this is also Jesus. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so tonight, as, as, we, as we come to take communion, like, let's think about this. Christ is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. Where was Christ going with his cross? He was going to die. <laughs> He's going to die. He's going to be nailed 
to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Christ is asking us to walk and follow him to that death. All right? That spiritually speaking, what's already dead can be nailed to that cross so that we can be buried with Christ and raised with him in righteousness. And so communion is remembrance, but it's also coming to that place again of saying, like, like yes, Christ, like, like, that's me. Like, I'm following you to the cross. Like, I want to continue to die to myself. I want to continue to carry my cross. I want to continue um, being worked upon by you. And so, like, tonight, like, um, maybe take a moment. Um, I'm going to pray here in a second, and Chance is going to come out. Take a minute just... Um, if there's any self-righteousness in your life, if, if you found yourself working to try and earn the favor of God, if you find your identity more in what you do for God than what he's done for you, um, just ask, ask forgiveness from God right now. Repent. Like, you don't need to be in that spot. That burden was not meant for your shoulders. You will crumble, I guarantee it. Even if you're like me and you walk around the neighborhood at 10 o'clock at night and start crying. Like, it will happen. Don't carry that burden. You don't want it. So, um... And then come and take a communion. So I'm going to pray for us, and then um, that'll be it. So God, thank you so much for, um, for this church. Lord, I do, um, man, I just, I just want to see people follow you for the right reasons, God. I want, I want people to understand the truth and the freedom that comes from the gospel. God, would you teach us with your Holy Spirit tonight um, um, to, to let our identity and our works go um, God, would, would, you, um, would you lead us to the cross that we might um, be put to death up there with you? God, would, would, um, would you rise us into righteousness that we can aggressively pursue obeying you? God, that we can aggressively pursue um, just fulfilling the purpose that you have for our lives. But God, will we always come back to the gospel? Will we always come back to the cross? So Lord, that's um, everything I want to say to you right now, God. And it's in your name. Amen.